This year is brought to you by TorahWeb.org. Thank you very much. Many years ago, Herman Wook taught at Yeshiva College for two years. He taught uh, literature. And he told the students that the theme of his book, The Cain Mutiny, the Cain is the name of a ship, and the sailors organized a mutiny against uh, the captain of the ship. Uh, a little background. Uh, my family, I was born in Pennsylvania, and my family lived in Philadelphia, and the day school in Philadelphia only went to the fifth grade. So my parents had to send me to New York to stay by my grandparents in order to go to the sixth grade in a yeshiva. So, I, so my grandparents lived down the block from a shtibel. They lived right next door. The building where they lived was adjacent to Rabbi Chalap's shul, the gigantic shul, the Bronx Jewish Center. Rabbi Echiel Nichol Chalap, Rabbi Zmuel Chalap's father. And down the block there was a shtibel where Herman Wook's grandfather was, uh, was the rabbi. And then after he passed away, they closed down the shtibel. The only one who wanted to buy it was the church. So Herman Wook never let them, he never sold the building. The building was locked and closed for years and years and years. He never sold the building. I let us sell the shul to a church. So Herman Wook said that the theme of his book, The Came Mutiny, is based on a Rashi and Chumash. That the Pesach says in Chumash, when you ask a child of the Bezen Hagodol, the Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim, have to follow the Psaq, the Sosem, the Nadova, Shegidlach, Yomin, a small. You're not allowed to turn to the right, not allowed to turn away to the left. So Rashi quotes from the Tanoim, the comment on the Pesach, Kafila Yimin Shuhu, small, while small Shuhu Yimin. So Herman Wook misunderstood that Rashi to mean that authority is binding even when it's an error. So he said that that's what led him to write the whole book of the Cain Mutiny, that you're to listen to the captain of the ship, even if his decision is incorrect. So the students told Herman Wook that that's not the Pshat and Rashi. The Ramban is the first one who raised the issue. The Ramban in his commentary on the Sefer HaMitzvah Slaha Rambam quotes the opening Mishnah in Horeus, where it says if the Bezna HaGodol issues a unanimous vote, they paskan on unanimously, and there's somebody, a student, who knows that they made a mistake. So it says, you're not allowed to follow the Beznagol. You're not allowed to follow the Chacham when they make a mistake. So the, so the Ramban raises the issue, what's the Pshat in this comment that Rashi quotes from the Tanoim? So he says, it means something else. The correct reading should be, Even if the layman thinks that the rabbi's psak is outlandish, it's ridiculous. Let's say, a lot of times the doctor gives a psak, he tells the patient, what does she do? So the patient thinks it's ridiculous. So-and-so had a sickness, and the doctor told him to do this. The doctor had the same sickness, isn't he? told me to do this. It doesn't make sense. You don't know the first thing about medicine. What do you mean it doesn't make any sense? You're going to predict, let's say, there are two chemicals. This is a peaceful chemical, this is a peaceful chemical. You mix them together, it's going to make an explosion. How can it make an explosion? This one is peaceful, this is peaceful. How can it make an explosion? You don't know chemistry. If you don't know, every discipline has its own self-contained system of logic, how it works. You can't ask, in common sense, you can't ask Akasha and physics or chemistry or biology. So you can't ask, sometimes you can't ask Akasha and Halacha either. A lot of times common sense plays a role. A lot of times uh, common sense doesn't play a role. That was exactly the mistake of Kerach. Kerach thought that you can pass Kinshalas all the time with common sense. And Moshe Abena said, not always. Sometimes common sense does not play a role. So the, uh, the Ramban says that's the correct reading in the Sifrei. 
when the Tanaim said, he mentions, even if in the eyes of the layman it sounds like it's ridiculous, so then you should still follow the psak of the, of the Rabbonim, assuming that they're not making a mistake. Why should you assume they're not making a mistake? Human beings are human. There is an institution in Chumash of Parhalanov Shel Tzibu, we just read yesterday in the Sedra. If the entire, if there's a unanimous vote of the Beznagodal regarding a certain issue in Abedizara that they pass and it is permissible, so theoretically the Chumash writes that there's a possibility the entire Beznagodal will make a mistake on something in Hilchas Abedizara, and that the Reif Hatzibur, 51% of the Jews who live in Eretzisola, follow the mistake in Psach. 51% of the Jews are going to listen to the rabbis, question mark. When they make a mistake, and unanimous, and the whole thing is so far-fetched, I don't think it ever happened in the history of the world that there ever was any parhal of Dovashel how, how can you have a unanimous vote on anything among the rabbis, and how can you have 51% of the tzibur following a mistake from Sak? But the Chumash writes this institution to teach us human beings are human. We don't believe in the infallibility of, of, the, of the Sanhedrin. But the Abdabadizar, they have such a ridiculous rule. They assume that the Pope is infallible. We don't have such a Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake. In Chumash, we read in Parshashmini, Moshe Rabbeinu was upset that Aaron, why they didn't need to, and Aaron explained why he thinks that Moshe Rabbeinu is wrong. Moshe Rabbeinu said, You're right, I made a mistake. You were correct. Chumash, because Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest Tamachachum we ever had in the history of the world. And he made a mistake. So uh, all human beings can make mistakes. So why is a psaq of the Tamachachim ever binding? So the Gemara explains it's binding because the Pasuk tells us in Tehillim, Sod Hashem Le'ereo, Lahodiyan. A lot of people recite that Pasuk on Shabbos afternoon, Temincha, Yefti Yelen, Kriyas HaTorah. So a lot of Sidurim, they have this short parak in Tehillim that goes according to Aleph Bey. So that's the letter Samach, Sod Hashem Le'ereo. Of reveals its secrets to the ones who have Yerushalayim. We assume that the Tamachacham is not making a mistake. We assume he probably has a to the Shmaid, probably has a divine assistance to help him that he shouldn't make a mistake. On his own, he certainly couldn't make a mistake. Human beings are, uh, can make mistakes. But we have this Havtoch. How can it be that HaKadosh Bochur gives a divine assistance to Tamachacham isn't making a mistake? But a lot of times we know there's a Machloikas among the rabbis. So he says it's us, and he says it's mutter. Each one had a siyak to the Shemayat, the Paskin, the way he said. So the Baruch was talking out of both sides of his mouth. So the Gemara says, yes. Eilu Eilu, the Gemara says, yes. They're both right. You have to follow your rabbi, and the other community has to follow their rabbi. You don't, you don't always call the Beznagot. See, in recent years, we have email, we have telephones. So for many years, any shatla would come up anywhere in the world, so everybody would call right away, Rabbi Yashiv and Yerushalayim, or whatever he says goes. In Europe, for centuries, it wasn't so. The local rabbi paskin, whatever he thought was the din. Even though we know that the local rabbi in a bigger community paskin, not so. The local rabbi over here paskin is this way. Everyone should follow his rabbi mover. That's the basic rule. So the reason why the psak is binding, not because, is infallibility. We assume that Probably the Tamachachim had to say, I tadishmite the Paskin properly. But if you know for sure that he made a mistake, then you're not allowed to follow that Psak. Um, I live in Washington Heights. So uh, for many years, the real Yekas used to daven in Broyashul. And those who were from Eastern Europe didn't. Some didn't want to daven in Broya, so they would daven in the Aguda. So I remember once. Um, the rabbi in the Aguda Minyan always used to be whoever was the Rosh Hashiva and Broya's Hashiva. 
So when I first moved to the neighborhood, Rabbi Naftali Friedler was the Rosh Hashiva, so he was the rabbi in the Agudamin. And then when he moved away to England, they invited him to come to Gates at Yeshiva. So after him, then Rabbi Perlo, who, uh, who took over after his father passed away, he took over, uh, the, he became Novominsky Rebbe. So he was the head of the Yeshiva in Broya. So he was, he was the rabbi in the Agudamin. So I remember the practice was that whoever the rabbi in the shul was, would bench Rosh Chodesh on the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh. So I remember once Rabbi Perla was benching Rosh Chodesh, said Rosh Chodesh is going to be on Wednesday. So everybody screamed out, no, it's on Tuesday. So he corrected him, it's all going to be on Tuesday. Right. So I was, I was saying, I was standing in the shul next to a, a real yekka, a heavy fellow, from, he was from Berlin. All the others were, were from other parts of Germany, but he was from Berlin, so they didn't get along with each other. Different, different parts of Germany. So he says in German, he says to me, if this would have happened in the big shul, Rosh Chodesh would have been on Wednesday. <laughs> this rabbi is a pushover. Uh, he's a real rabbi. Whatever he says, binding, even if it's a mistake. This rabbi, he's not a real rabbi. So we corrected him, so Rosh Chodesh is going to be on, on Tuesday. But the big shul would have been on Wednesday. That's not correct. If it says on the calendar, Rosh Chodesh is Wednesday, it's going to be Wednesday. It's not going to be Tuesday. Whatever the correct day, or other people have the attitude, if you have a food product that has a hechsher on it, you can eat the food. I, but I know the rabbi is a charlatan. The one who gives the hashgach, he's not, he's not an emesdika person. He'll, he'll have to give, when, when he goes to the oil of emes, they'll give him a hard time. Why he gave a hechsher on a, on a questionable food item. But I have a right to follow up, even if I know in advance that it's a mistake. That's ridiculous. If you know the rabbi is not reliable, so you can't rely. A psak is not, it's not like a magic, magical oracle that the Yavdeh used to have. They would ask Shilas to the oracle, and whatever the oracle would answer, they would be binding. By us, the psak is not based on uh, magic or something. We assume that Tamachachim has a divine assistance, that he shouldn't make a mistake. But if you know in advance that he's not reliable, so you're not supposed to follow his psak. That's ridiculous. Unfortunately, during the period of the COVID epidemic, so there were some rabbanim who said, we ignore everything that doctors say because doctors don't know what they're talking about. This is against all of Talmud. The Gemara always says you follow whatever, the t follow the doctors of your generation. Whatever it says in the Gemara, we don't follow today because the doctors today know better than the doctors in the days of the Gemara. The Gemara in Gitten has a whole few pages, the beginning of Perak Mishach, so is about the Talmudic medicine, Talmudic. Talmud is recording what the Goyish doctors said in their generation. So the Goonim say, whoever follows the medicine in the Gemara and he gets sick and he dies, Doma Barosha, it's his own stupid fault. You're not supposed to follow the doctors of the Gemara. So just take today. If the doctors today will practice medicine the same way they practiced five years ago, they'll take away their license. The way they did medicine five years ago is totally outlandish. Every year they discover new things and you have to be on top of everything. You have to follow, you have to do what the Tanoim did. The Tanoim followed the doctors of their generation. So we have to follow the doctors of our generation. So if a person asks, a lot of times, there are medical shilas. For many years, religious Jews never asked any shilas on medical ethics. It's interesting, historically, I think, uh, Lord Jacobowitz, who was the chief rabbi of England, was the one, he wrote uh, a lot of essays, he wrote a book. 
He was the one who made this a discipline, medical ethics. People before didn't, didn't realize there were shyness involved. Whatever the doctor recommended, that's what they followed. So now we have to consult the doctor, find out what the facts are, and then present all the facts to Adam Chacham and ask him, now what is the din? Now they know what the facts are, but you can't paskin on the din if you don't know what the facts are. It's like a rabbi is going to paskin on a mara, whether it's a mara tomi, mara tohar, and he's not looking at the mara. How can you paskin on a telephone? You're not looking at the chicken. How can you possibly say, if you don't know anything about medicine, how can you issue a, an opinion on, on a medical shiloh? There is what they ask, but, uh, but you, have to know, you have to know what the facts are before you present the shiloh to the Tamachacham. This promise that the Pasuk says, Soda Hashem Lireyev HaKadosh Bochel will reveal his secrets to the Yerei Shamayim seems to help us determine whom do you present the Shilas to. The Mishnah says, how do you decide whom to ask your Shilas to? So if, number one, you have to have a person who seems to be knowledgeable, he knows Torah. Let's say, there are some rabbis who speak well, but they, they themselves will tell you they're not big Tamir Chacham. So you can't ask him a Shilas. It's, it's not a magical oracle that whatever the rabbi is going to say is going to be the right answer if he's, if he's knowledgeable. HaKadosh Baruch will help him. But a Ban is not going to make a nice nigla. The rabbi doesn't know anything about halacha, then he's going to come up with the right answer. He doesn't, he doesn't even understand what the shaila is. So that's number one, he has to be a learned person. Number two, he has to be a Yerei Shamayim. The Pasuk says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will reveal the secrets of his Torah to those who fear him. Number three, A lot of times you have a Tamachacham who knows everything that it says in Shulchan Aruch. But he's not so intelligent. He's not so bright. He can spit back what it says in the Shulchan Aruch. But the cases that come up, the shadows that come up, usually don't appear in the Shulchan Aruch. There's always a little twist different. And a lot of times because of one slight little detail, the halach is going to be different. So you have to have a Tamachacham who's, uh, who's not a Tipesh, and he has to be a Pikeach. He has to understand which sif we're dealing with in Shulchan Aruch. After the Chazanish passed away, so they published a collection of letters that were written by the Chazanish. They have three, three little collections, Igris Chazanish. Chazanish wrote a very beautiful style Hebrew. He had an original style Hebrew, totally different from the way everybody else wrote. Abbas al had a totally different style of writing Hebrew. So the, um, the Chazanish has in one of the, the first collection of letters so he writes, the difficulty in Paskening a Shaila is, first he says you have to know what the dinim, what the halachas are. Secondly, you have to know which sif and Shulchan Aruch you're dealing with now. And any specific area of halacha, let's say the laws of Basa B'chalab, there's pages and pages and pages in Shulchan Aruch. Sometimes the Basa B'chalab is Asa Ba'anoa, sometimes it's Asa Ba'achila, Muta Ba'anoa, sometimes it's Muta Ba'achila. So you have to know what the case is. Yeah, and, that, and then the Chazanish says the second difficulty to determine which Sif in the Shulchan Aruch applies to the case at hand, that's more difficult to master that, to figure that out than to figure out what the dinim are. To figure out the dinim in abstract is a little easier. And then to apply the dinim, what is the case at hand? Which Sif are we talking about? That's more difficult. The cases in Shulchan Aruch a lot of times are totally different from the cases we have today. So you have to determine 
What do you have under your nose over here? I remember once I, I live in Washington Heights, and Rabbi Schwab was once speaking. So he told the following story. I don't remember whether he said it really happened. There was a theoretical case. I think he said it happened. That there was a Hasidish person who had to go to a business uh, meeting. And he wore a suit, a uh, jacket with a tie. And then he didn't realize he was going to have to dab the mincha. Uh, he won't have a chance to go to show. He's going to have to dab mincha at the end of the meeting. So he, didn't bring his, he forgot to bring his gartel with him. So he improvised, so uh, after the meeting was over, he took off his tie, and he made a gartel out of the tie. So he said, the foolish man didn't realize that the reason why you have to wear a gartel is because in the days of the Gemara, that was fully formally dressed, is with a sash in the middle. You have pictures of old people from centuries ago, they would wear a sash on the outside. And today, fully formally dressed means with a tie. So when the Gemara talks about a gartel, Bismana said the gartel is the tie. You don't take off the tie and make a gartel out of it. You take the gartel and make a tie out of it. <laughs> you have to know how... Remember when we learned Shulchan Aruch here or there, Rabbi Soloveitchik, on one occasion, he said there was a class of 25 students, and we were all in our 20s, and he asks us, how many of you ever visited Eretz Yisrael? At that time, nobody. We were all in our 20s, no one had even visited Eretz Yisrael before the system was introduced, that everybody goes to learn Eretz Yisrael for a year or two or three, between high school and college. So he said he visited Eretz Yisrael, and Rabbi Yisif Kara, who wrote to Shulchan Aruch, lived in Tzvat, and Tzvat is on top of a mountain, and uh, there's no plumbing in Eretz Yisrael, so you have to pay the Arabs for the, to schlep up the water, and that's why the Shulchan Aruch has a certain din, that, uh, that since it's expensive for the water, therefore it doesn't have the din of Adosh Eishmati or whatever. He says, it doesn't apply today, not in Boston, not in New York. That Sif and Shulchan Aruch doesn't apply. It doesn't cost money. The water doesn't, even if it costs money, it costs you a penny, it costs you a nickel. That din doesn't apply. A lot of times, you have to be able to judge. More difficult than knowing what the abstract halacha is, is to figure out which case are we talking about, which sif are we talking about. Sometimes people will fool themselves. This is ridiculous. People, they made up their minds what they want to do, but they want to have rabbinical approval. So they'll ask to shout it to the rabbi on purpose, not tell a rabbi all the details of the case. They know that because of a certain detail, the din is one way. But they want to hear a, a rabbi should paskin that it's mutter, or it's also whatever direction. Some people dafka looking for a heter, some people dafka looking for an isa. They're not looking for the truth. So they won't tell a rabbi all the details of the case in order that the rabbi should paskin the direction that they want. And then they'll be able to say they have rabbinical approval. The rabbi said that they're fooling themselves. It's ridiculous. They know that the din is wrong because he didn't tell all the details to the Rama. So this idea that the Psak of the Tamachacham is binding because we assume so Hashem Lirayov, you require that, number one, it should be a learned person. Baruch is not going to make a nice nigler that the one is an Amharat is going to be able to paskin correctly. He, has to, he should be a Yeresh Amayim. He should be a Pikeach, shouldn't be a fool. Then the Gemara discusses and the many disputes between Beishama and Beisila. They have two different yeshivas. So why is it that most of the time we pass like Beishama, like Beisila? We rarely pass like Beishama. So the Gemara gives one of the reasons why. It's because Beisila were more humble than Beishama. It doesn't mean Beishama were arrogant. They were humble also, but Beisila were more humble than the Beishama. So because they're more humble, so when they graduate, you give them the humility award. When they graduate college, why, the, why is there prizes that you pass like him? The answer is that the more humble a person is, 
So the better a chance he stands that he'll have this divine assistance to help him bask him properly. Then you have to have a Tamachachim who has patience. There are Rabbanim, when you start telling them a Shalah, they'll, they'll be snappy, they'll give you the Psaq right away before you finish the sentence. But you have to tell all the details of it. They don't have patience to listen to a whole story. If a person doesn't have patience, he doesn't stand the chance of Paskani properly. There could be one slight little detail is off. And then the Psaq is totally incorrect. These are all the prerequisites that you have to have. I remember um, there is an Erev in Manhattan. So I remember on one occasion, uh, some wealthy Balabas asks me, would I be interested in a set of Shadis Atruvis written by a certain prominent rabbi? So I said, yeah, why not? So uh, he gave me a gift. Apparently that was, that was the rabbi who, who was the one who approved of, of the Manhattan Erev years ago. So I was looking through the different chuvas, and the next time I bumped into that balabas, so he says, knew that you enjoy the chuvas. I said, yeah, I enjoy the chuvas, but how can you rely on him for your Mahatma Erev? He has chuvas, but he writes that you're not allowed to celebrate your Matzmaut. He thinks that the Hakam Samdina is the most, the greatest tragedy since Chuvim Bajeni, and that we shouldn't celebrate the Hakam Samdina. So this Balabas says, no, I don't follow what he says about Eretz Yisrael. He only follows what he says about the Erev Mahatma. I said, everything is interconnected. The Gemara says, everything is interconnected. The Tosefta has it in that if the Rebbe is giving a Shira Gitna and the student raises his hand, he asks the Shaila and Hilchas Mikvois. So the student has to apologize to the Rebbe and to the other students. He has to apologize. He had no right to raise that question. We're not learning that then. And Rameyer, that's how we paskin in Shulchan Aruch, that if the student asks the question, that's not relevant, that has nothing to do with what we're learning, has to apologize to the whole class. And then Rabbi Meir is of the opinion, he doesn't have to apologize, because everything in halacha is interconnected. So the Chachamim also agree, everything in halacha is interconnected, but they say you still have to apologize. You shouldn't have asked the Shailam, it was if you learn Egitin. Everything in halacha is interconnected. There are different approaches to halacha. The one who has a crooked head, or he thinks he has a straight head, maybe my head is crooked. One has a crooked head and thinks that you're not allowed to celebrate Yom Matzmut, maybe has a crooked head, the way he makes an Erev also. He has a different perspective on everything. He looks at the whole world differently. Everything is interconnected. You have to get the one that you ask a Shiloh to has to be a person who's on the same wavelength as you. He's on a totally different wavelength. Then uh, you can't ask him any Shilohs even if it seems to be an area that everyone would agree upon. Then the Gemara has a cloud. The Gemara tells us that in the community of Rabbi Yossi Haglili, he was one of the prominent Tanoim, they used to eat chicken that was cooked with milk. He was of the opinion that biblically, Basta B'chalam only applies to meat from a behemoth, from a chicken. There's no biblical prohibition. He thought that it doesn't make sense to make a rabbinical prohibition because everybody knows the difference between chicken and milk. We paskin that chicken and milk is mid but there is room to make exera de so Rabbi Yosef was outvoted, but the Gemara says in his city, in his community, where he was the rabbi years after he passed away, they still followed his opinion. They ate chicken cooked in milk and they were not punished, because that's the din. Every person should follow his rabbi muvak. You should follow the rabbi who, he's the rabbi in the community, you follow his psak. 
Then the Gemara says similarly, Rab Leizah ben Hurkanus was uh, in the days of the Tanaim, he was a very prominent Tanah, so he often disagreed with the Chachamim. So one of the major disputes that he had was if a baby boy is born on Shabbos, and he's scheduled the birth for next Shabbos, usually a week later, next Shabbos, so not only is it permissible, when you perform a bris milah, uh, that itself constitutes a malacha, so it's only permissible to, to perform the bris on Shabbos if it's a milah bismana, if it's the eighth day. If it's not the eighth day, you're not allowed to do the bris on Shabbos. So even, even if it is the eighth day, you're only permitted to be mechal Shabbos for the actual bris. Let's say to carry the knife to the location where the bris is going to take place, not permissible. Or to manufacture a knife is not permissible. So the Gemara tells us, in the city where Ablazer ben Hurkanus was the rabbi, years after he passed away, they always followed all of his shittas, they were consistent. He was the rabbi, he was the Mardastra, so he had the status of Rabbi Muvik, all the people who lived in that community years after he died also. So they would, whenever they would be scheduled a bris for Shabbos, they would break off branches from a tree in order to make a fire, in order to melt metal, in order to manufacture a life. Then they would carry the knife in the street to demonstrate how important the mitzvah bris milah is that you allow to be mechal Shabbos from the beginning to the end, even seemingly if it's unnecessary. You don't really, you have a knife. It sounds, the simple pshat sounds you're allowed to manufacture a knife on Shabbos. Everything that's going to lead up to the bris is permissible. So his opinion has not been accepted, but that's the main clause. You have to follow Rabbi Muvuk. Everyone has to follow Rabbi Muvuk. Teisus points out, and the Shulchan Aruch quotes this from Teisus, that whoever the Gdoli Hador are, they have the status of Rabbi Muvuk, even if you never met them before. The Gemara says that when Chana, for so many years, didn't have any children, and then she went to Mishkan Shila, she prayed for a baby, so she had a baby, so she promised that when the baby reaches the age of two, he's going to bring her to Mishkan Shilo. So she brought Shmuel. As a child, she brought him to Eli, and Eli raised him. So the Gemara has a whole interpretation of the Parsha there in Sefer Shmuel, that uh, the child, only at the age of two, he already knew that they were doing something improper in the Mishkan Shilo, and he brought it to their attention that they insist on having a coin to do the shechita and the din is that the shechita of the korban doesn't need a coin. It, it can be done by a non-coin. And the korban were wearing big dekuna. It's not right because the shatnas on the, on the avnait, shatnas and the big dekuna, and it wasn't necessary to have a coin wearing shatnas at that time. So Eli said, a sharp little boy, but he deserves a punishment even though he's only two years old because he shouldn't have passed in my presence. So they said, what do you mean? It's the first time in his life that he ever, he ever met Eli. How is he called rabbi? He's not his rabbi. So Tosheth says, and that's quoted Laloch and Shulchan Aruch, that since Eli was one of the Gdoli Hador, so the God Lador has a status of rabbi Muvik for all the people in that generation. They have an influence on everybody. So we have to follow the Psochim of the Bezna Hagodol all the time, because Bezna Hagodol has a status of rabbi Muvik, and when you don't have any Bezna Hagodol, the din goes back, you have to follow. The Rebbe, the one who has the most influence on the person, that's called Rabbi Muvuk. In order to be qualified to be able to pass in a shayla, a lot of times, let's say you have a shayla in Kashris, a lot of times you have to know food chemistry. So you have to have a food chemist. For many years, all the Kashris organizations used to have the same uh, food chemist. The Badats from Yerushalayim, the Eid Haredes, and, and the Oyu, and the Chavke, and the Starke, they all had the same uh, food chemist happened to be a woman, a very religious woman. So um, every so often we, we, we had to ask her shilas. You have to know food chemistry. A lot of, shi- a lot of times uh, they would ask 
medical shilas to Reb Shlomazalman so he would need, he didn't know medicine, so he needed a top doctor to come and explain to him the issues. Sometimes they asked him a shayla by ribis, so he needed the vice president from the bank to come and explain to him how the bank runs and all the details in order to be able to paskin. Or the Estem Shilas, technological Shilas and Hilcha Shabbos, whether it's a Malocha or not, so you had to have someone come and give him a whole lecture for an hour on, uh, on physics to explain how this, uh, how this technology functions. So he would always have, he, they would give him a private lecture for an hour, then he would say, could I keep you just for another few minutes, let me say it over to you. I want to make sure that I understood it. So they said after an hour's lecture, he was able to say it over better than the expert was. He picked it up so quickly, he was able to say it over better without knowing all the all the all the details of how the bank runs, or without knowing food chemistry, without knowing physics, without knowing biology. How can you pass on a shiloh? So it's, uh, the Nitziv has in one place uh, he has a comment on the closing Mishnah. In the Shisha Sidre Mishnah, Kurishbokha is going to grant a gift to each Sadik three hundred and ten worlds. What are the Shin Yud Alam? Shin Yud is a Gematri three hundred and ten. What is that all about? The Pasik, based on the Pasal, Hancha Ohabayesh, will to say Ma Malay, so the Hancha Ohabaya, Kurishbokha is going to give the Tzadikim Yesh, three hundred and ten Alamas. What does that mean? So that it seems suggest in one one of his Svarim that um, he doesn't know. He says, in order to be able to pass Nishali after no chemistry, physics, biology, medicine, banking, economics, after know so much. So he's guessing. He says there are probably 310 courses that you have to take in order to know all there is to know in the world, in order to be able to pass on all the shilas. So no one can be into pass until you have a graduate degree in all, in all areas. You have to have a medical degree in, in physics and biology. It's impossible. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give the tzaddikim who have to pass on the shadows, will give them a divine assistance that they'll be able to pick up all of the different chachmas by listening to a lecture, like Abshalem Azam Oyabach did, in an hour, and they'll be able to pick it up and understand enough to be able to pass on the shadows. That's the way he suggests, John. If you have a rabbi who's going to pass him without finding out the details, that's utterly ridiculous. What kind of a psak is that? There is room for There is room for that. In the Chumash, in the Mishnais, on the first parak in Horius, the Mishnah says in, in the days of the Tanoim, every Shevet had its own Beznagodl. The Ramban Chumash shows where it says that in the Chumash, the beginning of the first Pasuk in Shoftim, Shoftim Shatin Lacha Bechol Shorecha Lishvatecha, every Shevet, in addition to every city needing a Bezn, every Shevet has to have a Bezn. So there was a Beznagodl. Ramban Chumash is not sure whether the Beznagodl of the Shevet consisted of 71 Dayanim, or only 23. He's not sure. But, uh, but he quotes the Mishnah that every Shevet has to have a Beznagol. What's the idea of a Beznagol for the Shevet? You have a Beznagol in Yerushalayim. You have a Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim. So apparently HaKadosh Bochu appreciates diversity, just like human beings appreciate uh, diversity. So he wants to have B'nai Yisrael should worship him in, thir- in 12 different drachim. Depending on what shevet you come from, that's the psaka you should follow. Each one, we don't know who belongs to which shevet today, but originally the plan was there are going to be 12 shvat, each shevet is going to have its own desnagodal, and they should, different drachim in Avodah Hashem. And the Mogen Abraham, in his commentary on Shulchanach, writes that there are basically three, he quotes from the Arizal, 
there's a nusachari, Lebavitch Dama's nusachari. So uh, the Arizal made a comment that there are 13 different nuschos hatfilo corresponding to the Pasuk says in the end of Yecheskel, Osid Lovoi, HaKadosh Baruch will see to it that Yerushalayim will be secure. There'll be a wall around Yerushalayim and there'll be 13 gates to enter. There'll be one gate, one shar for every shevet, Sharuvin, Shar Shimon, every shevet has its own shar. Then there's going to be a 13th gate, that's the miscellaneous gate, the shar HaKoylo. So whoever knows what shevet he comes from should go enter Yerushalayim through that gate. Whoever does not, Agir, Abalchuvah, whatever, someone that doesn't know what shevet he belongs to, everyone can go through the miscellaneous shar. So the Arizal says that there are 13 nuschos atvila. Whoever knows what shevet he comes from, Shedaven, according to that nusach atvila of his shevet, whoever doesn't know what shevet he belongs to, so this is the punchline of the Arizal, so the nusach hari is the shar hakoil. That's what he says. Okay, so that's uh, questionable. But that's the way he interprets. Nusach is a shavakal, that's good for everybody. The Rabbi Shalom appreciates diversity, and the plan originally was that it's going to be Yud Beishvatim, with 12 different drachim and Rabbi Hashem. Entering Yerushalayim doesn't just mean to enter the city, it means to approach, to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You enter Yerushalayim in order to lead to the Beis Hamikdosh. There may be more gates than 13, but the other gates are not leading to the Beis Hamikdosh. There are 13 gates that lead direct to Rabbi Hashem. So the that's what we say. Truth of the matter is, everything, every decision we make in life is a shiloh. Whom should I marry? Where should I live? What should I do for a living? Everything is a shiloh. We really should ask the shilohs of Tamir Chachamim, but the Tamir Chachamim is only qualified to Baskin if he knows me so well. He has to know me very well. He has to know all the girls very well. Where do you have such a Tamir Chachamim who knows me so well? Unless he has Ruch HaKodesh. But leaving out the Ruch HaKodesh, he doesn't know every, every detail of my life, so that's why we don't ask those shilas. But strictly speaking, really, those are also shilas in life. And um, how can the Tamachachim Paskin like that on, on such an issue? So we assume it's like Marshal Amadavadim if you have a jigsaw puzzle with a thousand pieces. And you're missing two pieces, you have 998 pieces. So you can, you can figure out on your own. If, you, if you're only missing two pieces from a thousand, probably figure out on your own what the, missing, what the missing part of the picture is. You have so much of the picture. So if you have a Tamachachim who knows so much Torah, he knows Tanakh, he knows Gemara, he knows the Shulchan Aruch, in this case that happens to come up, whether you should marry this girl or that girl, whether you should live in this community, whether you should uh, do this for a living or that for a living, this is not discussed in the literature, but the Tamachachim knows so much he knows 998 pieces out of the jigsaw puzzle. He's missing the two pieces that have about what you should do for a living, whom you should marry. So we assume that he probably will be able to figure out what the, what the picture should look like, look like based, based on, those, uh, on the 998 pieces that he does know. It's a serious thing. Ask and Shilas, we, the Talmud tells us that there are 613 mitzvahs, and some of the commentaries say, is one of the 613 mitzvahs. It's a mitzvah, I say. The Pesach says, Ki polemim mishpat. If you're not sure what the din is, they come to the Ali, so you should go ask a shayla of the Beznagol. So some of the Rishonim who write on the topic of, uh, of the 613, some of them write that asking shaylas is one of the 613 mitzvahs. A lot of people don't want to ask shaylas, they feel embarrassed. The rabbi is going to see how ignorant I am. 
Or they say, why should I ask God? There's probably a machloikis and all. There's a, probably a lenient opinion. Or other people have the attitude. There's probably a strict opinion. I'll be machma. Some people are looking for a chumma. Some people are looking for a kula. And some people say, well, I don't know what the din is. So if it's a sophic and a din deraisa, I'll go to chumma. Sophic and a din deraisa, I'll go to kula. So the Mishnah said, that's wrong. So Rabbi Chaim Balazhan explains, what you think is a chumrah may turn out to be a kula. You may be, you don't realize the whole picture. Uh, truth of the matter, every chumrah leads to a kula. Let's say it's a shalom kashris, and I'm going to be a machma, I'm going to throw it out. You throw it out as a shalom baltashchis. If there was nothing wrong with the food, if it's kosher, why do you throw it out in the garbage? If it becomes spoiled, you throw it out. You're not to eat the spoiled food, but if it's a good food, just you don't know what the din is. It's an issue to throw it out in the garbage. So that's in life. A lot of times people want to be machma. They think, I'll go l'chumr. It's, it's not always l'chumr. A lot of times l'chumr. Asking shilas is a serious thing, and you have to pick the right person to ask the shilas to. Say, l'charab has to be the right rabbi. Intelligent and learned and humble and yirei shamayim and honest a lot of times you have Tamir Chacham, they have all the milas, but they don't want to rub the balabas the wrong way. So they know what the balabas wants as a psak. And the rabbi knows a different opinion. So I'll tell them the chumrah, the kula, whatever. I remember there was a, I won't say who, <laughs> there was a Tamir Chacham who was always encouraging me for years, I should, I should move to, I should move to Flatbush, I should make a, I should start a, a, my own minya there. There are a lot of people who want to daven Nusach Ashkenaz, everybody daven Nusach Svarda, but he says, Rab Herschel, you don't have to tell them all the Yakulas. And Flatbush, they want to hear Chumas. That's dishonest. I shouldn't tell them all the Kulas. I have to say what the din is. You're not supposed to say what you know the Balabas wants to hear. That's one of the conditions. When you pick a Selechara, you have to pick an honest rabbi. Some rabbis are not honest. They know all the dinim, they know all the shitas, and they know what kind of an answer this Balabas wants. So you have to tell them, the Taz says that it's mutter. Ah, we don't pass like the Taz, but he said the Balabas wants a kula, so he's going to tell him uh, the Shita who says that it's mutter. Yeah, we should all get used to asking Shilas. All of us have to ask Shilas. And those of us whose Rabbein passed away, so we have to ask, what would my Rabbi have said? Even if the Rabbi is no longer alive, what? You can figure it out. What would my Rabbi have said on this Shilas? We should all follow the Rabbi Mubek. Thank you very much.